Dave. How are you feeling? <coughs> I'm okay. Been living uh, well? Yeah, I've just come back from Beechworth uh, Harvest Festival. Literally just got back into town after spending a couple of days at Bridge Road Brewery as a guest of theirs. Thank you, Bridge Road. It was a lot of fun. But uh, I drank a lot of beer. What do you think of the um, new Mayday Hills beers, the fruit ones? They were a little bit sweet for my liking. Oh, yeah? Uh, and I think they will get better with age. Yeah, right. And Brett's still probably doing a little bit there and hopefully they dry out a little bit. But they were nice. I enjoyed them. Um, I actually quite like the green tea IPA a lot more than I, I thought I did. Yeah, nice. I haven't had it since mm. it first came out and I didn't love it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, we haven't introduced young. you yet, Brendan. Are you? We I'll introduce it? myself if you like. Okay, Hi, let's I do that. Brendan. I'm the uh, head brewer from Three Ravens. <laughs> Free, previous guest? Once or twice? Yeah, Boneyard a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah Boneyard. Um, I right. should have checked the dates before uh, before we went live. We probably should have done that. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was one of the earlier ones. Yeah. Uh, so now, how long have you officially been head brewer for at Three Ravens? It was just before Good Beer Week last year, so probably 10 months, I'd say, by now. Hmm. Yeah, coming up on a year. Now, your thoughts on the Mayday? Was that yeah, I, really liked, yeah. yeah. I, I do think they're all quite quite young. Um, I, I liked the tea, uh, provided some some balance, like a bit of tannin and structure, and yeah, kind of helped. Because yeah, they're, they're still quite light and young and fresh. Uh, yeah, I agree. I look forward to seeing them mature and age, I think... Um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting series over the years. Hmm. So that's the Bridge Road uh, Brett fermented in a photo. For those that I guess haven't come across them yet. Is he selling them all though? Or are they getting is any of them getting put aside to age? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's keeping quite a big library of them. Yeah, right. For, okay. um, and mostly it's going to be for events. And so, you know, doing side-by-side tastings Fair of the whole range. And But yeah, that's definitely going to be a part of it. Um, and I think he's really excited to see how they they're pretty built. hot property at the moment. So I feel like if that wasn't the case, no one would get to see what the uh, potential of the marks get yeah. snapped up too quickly. But yeah, um, it's a big further. So I think there's there's going to be plenty of beer to go around. Mm. He did kind of half mention of getting a, a slightly bigger one at some point as well. So um, he's kind of not sure what what he's doing with that. Uh, I mean, he's up to quite a few experiments up in Bridge Road with some more barrels, and he's looking at getting some some bigger barrels or, or casks. Um, from Italy, I suspect so. there'd be a lot of interest from the US as well with their um, Shelton Brothers distribution yeah. in um, Australian further beers mm. or anything really wild from from down here. It's got such a, such a great and unique Australian brand mm. that um, yeah translates well to export markets like the US, mm. especially with his new newer beers. Anyway, yeah. Mm. Um, <coughs> Enigma, uh, the Enigma Pilsner was probably the highlight for me. I on agree. The weekend. I was Tasting. there up there a couple of weeks ago, and I think that was what I enjoyed the most. Yeah, yeah that was the I'm one I kept. Such a big fan of that hop. Yeah. Um, I was really bummed out. We missed out last year. We um, we got our request in very late in the season, and uh, that crop got hit very heavily um, by the storms. Um, so really, it was first in best dressed, and we missed out. And it was a shame. I really wanted to work it into our our uh, Thornbury Lager, uh, which we will um, when the next harvest comes through, which is exciting. Uh, but yeah, it's such a great such a great lager hop. Um, just so unique and yeah, it does remind me of, of some Kiwi hops like that steely Riesling kind of uh, vibe and sweetness and yeah, it's a great hop. Should yeah. we, um, just before we dive into anything, should we just explain that this is going to be a little bit of a different show? Sure. Um, we're just going to put it out here and um, just have a bit of a chat, I guess, yeah. rather than any structure that we normally have. I say structure. <laughs> yeah, this kind of came about after being pushed back a couple of times and also it was supposed to happen yesterday and we we got our dates wrong. I was in a different town. Uh, and Brendan, I believe you were here pouring off samples in preparation for us. Yeah, it's good fun. I like coming in on the weekends, <laughs> um, on my days off. It was awesome. Gee, he was um, taking no, I'd, up two of his days off now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had things to do, so it was good, good to be around. Yeah, there's always always things to be done here on the weekends. We try and avoid coming in on weekends if we can, but um, yeah, I don't mind. 
I borrowed uh, borrowed my girlfriend's car, so okay, <laughs> didn't put me out too much. Uh, now speaking of samples, you've just bought us uh, something which is pretty fun. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying it. It's got a really almost a straw-like character uh, to it that I'm getting. Uh, can you tell us about what it is? Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got a an event on next weekend, um, which may have passed by the time you, you hear this, but um, it's a coffee and beer festival modelled on wine in the US um, called Uppers and Downers. Ours is On the Bend, On the Mend. And there's uh, six breweries, six coffee roasters, um, all just intermingling, you know, making uh, coffee beers, uh, coffee that, that um, is like beer, beer that's to be drunk with coffee. Uh, one of the um, the roasters we're paired with is Small Batch, um, or the, the guys behind Auction Rooms. They're really into um, brewing with cascara. They use um, cascara in their soda water, um, and they do some some soft drinks and things in house. Um, what is cascara for? So cascara so? is Spanish for skin, um, and it refers to no, it's cool. the skin. peel. <laughs> yeah, just skin. That's it. It's just skin. Don't say no more. <laughs> All of the skins, kind of like sausages in the in the meat world. It's yeah. just what's left over. Yeah. Uh, w- when coffee's processed. Um, the fruit is removed um, at some point um, to get the seed out, um, and that fruit often goes to waste to compost. Um, but it's really nice. It's quite tea-like. It's got some really interesting fruit character, tannin. Um, yeah, it's it's also known as the poor man's coffee because it's like the leftovers. Um, but there's a yeah, it's a really interesting flavour. It's it's really nice in a tea. Um, and the guys at Small Batch wanted to do a Bellina Weiss uh, with Cascara and asked if they could bring along some homebrew. And I said no, we can't serve homebrew. Sorry. Um, but we've got a Bellino ice in tank, so why don't we uh, why don't we we turn some of that into this Cascara Bellino ice? Um, and the result is uh, mash brewing uh, Carlos Sultana. Awesome, great name. I understand that um, one of the focuses of the Uppers and Downers Festival is to highlight that there's more to incorporating coffee with beer than just adding some roast to a porter or a stout. Is that sort of what you're going for here as well? Yeah, I think um, I've been roasting coffee for about six years and have, have always really enjoyed the company of uh, baristas and coffee roasters, particularly the the ones that are really geeky because there's so much in common um, in process in, in making malt and in roasting coffee. Um, the development, the you know, a lot of the chemical reactions are very similar Um there's so much in the the serving of, of coffee that's like um, lautering and um, I think just the appreciation of, of fermentation and, and hygiene and subtlety and varietal, just like hops. Um, there's there's so many similar similarities. Um, I'm really into natural coffee as well. Um, so natural coffee, I think, entertains me because of my love of wild beer. The, the wild yeast characteristics and bacteria tends to shine through and really excite me um it's not for everyone in coffee um, small batch for instance they they only use wash coffees they really don't like the fermentation character but avery um the guy that's roasting in our bar he's he's a bozo like me he loves um fermentation and natural coffee and really I've, big hokey i've never heard things. of natural coffee before well, I only have from listening to the uh, good beer hunting chats about mm. the particular festival, and that's been brought up a lot. And mm. I, I, I mean, I, I know it's a thing, mm. and I still don't really understand it. So, what do you have any insights for yeah, us? Yeah, so it's it's kind of the 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 way that you can get from a cherry to a seed is um, yeah by by milling. You can mill the fruit to remove most of it, um, take all of the fruit off, and then it's just got the mucilage like the thin layer. They ferment for a day usually and then remove that and it washes off. Um, you can use a lot of water to do that. Um, you can uh, do completely natural, whereas you let the fruit uh, kind of ferment and break down on the on the seed. 
Um, so a lot of that fermentation character and sweetness goes into the uh, goes into the fruit. But like um, like any wild ferment, it can get quite quite bad, and and you know in the worst case can taste like vinegar or uh, nail polish remover. Um, but there can be some really nice uh, subtleties and fermentation characteristics. The uh, honey process, they remove the skin to reduce the amount of wild yeast um, contact and the wild yeast fermentation, so it's a bit cleaner and less aggressive. Uh, but natural is, yeah, like a more fruit and um, wild yeast. It's like um, kind of like a fermenting on the skin of, of, of wine rather than pressing pressing the skin and just fermenting the juice. Um, fermenting on the skin tends to give you a lot more complexity and, and character and more wild yeast and more tannin. It's a pretty direct comparison for anyone that understands natural wine or anything like that. It's a pretty much the same process, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of um, Ethiopian coffees are, are naturally fermented, um, just suits their process um, and their, their culture and tradition. Uh, washed, you, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's personal preference. They're, they can both be um, really positive uh, in, in certain ways. A coffee purists, I guess, really like natural because it's just a, a pure expression of um, the the fruit rather than process. It's kind of like a tea. Drinking a, a Russian caravan tea is quite insulting to a, a tea purist because you're not tasting the tea; you're tasting the the process. Yeah, it's a fun uh, fun it's concept. It's almost like a spicy vegetal character to it. Yeah, it could be partly the the fermentation. I think working together is where I get that from a little bit. But um, it's interesting and delicious. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it with a bit more carbonation. This is quite a, an early sample. We're still carbonating the kegs, uh, being a small batch. Uh, we're force, force carbonating it rather than doing it in a tank. Are you happy with the, the flavour of it? Yeah, I'm really enjoying the balance. Like it is quite delicate. Um, we, we went through a few different options for process and how to introduce the cascara. I relied heavily on Aaron, his experience with cascara and what he liked about um, you know, hot tea and cold tea. Um, so we did a hot water steeping of the, the fruit, um, pasteurized it for a couple of days at high temperature, then did a hot hot water extract and then blended that in with the, the beer and let the beer steep on the fruit um, once it was sterile. Yeah, I think it's it's such a light beer, the, the Whiz Fizz, before it's dry hopped anyway. Um, so we needed something delicate and I think that works well. I think the coffee <laughs> coffee geeks are going to appreciate the, the subtlety of the coffee. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's always been my approach to coffee is, is focusing on the fruit rather than development. And there's there's room in it for for all approaches. I think there's a few few beers we'll be serving that are more development oriented, meaning more roast and chocolate and co- you know the the traditional Italian style coffee characteristics. Um, but yeah, I think it's fun to, to celebrate both. I like I think it's more entertaining for coffee roasters to get involved when you um, at least give respect to what they love and what they're doing. And I guess it comes down to the roaster. Some some roasters really do milk milk style coffees and development so and that would you know that kind of coffee is appropriate for a, for a stout or a porter or a, something multi i think for beer people though like it's pretty one like coffee is a pretty one tracked ingredient um, it's used in dark beers to provide roast almost essentially so the same um, can be said for most most uh, food and flavor industries i guess um, yeah i guess so a lot of things but i think it's just going to be interesting for people to see how um, how well it can be used for other sort of um, much more different styles of beer. Yeah, we brewed a, I brewed a coffee beer over at Mash when uh, Charlie, the head brewer over there, was on, on holidays. He was taking his first holiday in ages, so I went over to fill in. And, um, yeah, the owner asked if I could brew a coffee beer while I was there because he, his local cafe, the barista, had won some prizes and some recognition, so I wanted us to work together. Um, and we made a, uh, a Scottish ale, um, really light Scottish ale with some oats um, and some, uh, some fruity German hops. And celebrated a, a coffee uh, roasted by Loaded over there, like an Ethiopian coffee from the Guji district, uh, 
uh, washed, so it's quite clean. Very sweet, like um, grapey, and we brought like a $10,000 grinder down to the brewery and got the coffee into the tank within 30 seconds of being ground, and we geeked out on the, on the coffee for sure. But the, I think that, that coffee beer was more about fruit and entertained us, uh, but probably largely lost on, on the market, unfortunately, without the ability to communicate what we were going for. Um, the launch party was great. We had it at the, the cafe, and all the coffee geeks loved um, you know, tasting it and, and seeing that it was like a filter coffee and celebrated the, the sweetness and the delicate nature of the coffee. But yeah, I think that beer was probably largely lost on the, the beer drinking market. What do you do to um, tell that story? Have a festival like on the bend on the Mets? I think communication is, is what it comes back to, marketing and, and how you present, how you communicate the story to the consumer. Um, like without engagement, it's, it's quite tricky, but I guess labeling and branding and providing the information um, to whoever's serving the beer really helps. Um, you know, going into educated um, uh, bars with good staff, good training, bottle shops that, that have the time to, to talk to customers and a label, I guess, if, if it is a packaged product that can communicate what you're doing succinctly and uh, directly. But yeah, festivals, festivals always help. I'm looking forward to engaging with everyone that comes along and, and really tasting everyone's approach to coffee beer um, next Sunday. Some breweries, are good breweries are coming along. Uh, some of our favourites. We've got Tallboy and Moose, <coughs> Hop Nation, Temple, Sailor's Grave, you guys, and one more. I think there is one more. Shit. It's so embarrassing. We could think about it for a long time. <laughs> we'll edit it in we later. Edit it yeah, it'll just be a natural. Top of our heads, yeah. Um, and some good roasters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, some uh, Cartel from Geelong. Um, I really been, like, I've had their coffee yeah. a couple of times and I really liked it. They're legends. They've been doing it for, for so long and so humble and, you know, just um, really good at what they do. Um, DC, who are just around the corner from us, they've been um, massive sponsors of ours, we trade coffee for beer, um, so fuels uh, both Cobra upstairs and and our our production downstairs. Um, Avery, our our home roaster, in house roaster, um, he's been uh, one of our one of our earliest um, tenants at Cobra and really um, really active in in creating culture here, which is awesome. Uh, we share coffee all the time. It's great great having someone that's that's just as geeky and intense, if not more so, uh, that makes me feel normal. Um, who else? We got small batch, um, uh, red bean. I think they're called um, in I Preston. Don't know if I know either in Preston. Okay. Um, sorry if I got that wrong. They're, they're good mates with Steve at Tallboy and Moose. Yep. Um, and I've probably forgotten someone again. I think I've got an article on broadsheet coming up. So I don't know where it is. It seems to have lost by the editor or something. But all the details will be in that anyway. I'll link it. Excellent. Hopefully, hopefully it's up. Scroll down today or tomorrow, and I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, a couple of things you've mentioned. You mentioned MASH a couple of times and maybe not all listeners kind of would know the relationship between you guys and MASH. Uh, so MASH Brewing, WA-based, but also brewed here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was kind of a, a very convenient timing for us to join um, a few years ago. It was about three years ago, I think now. Uh, three Ravens um, had been um, flying somewhat solo for, for quite a while. Um, Adrian McNulty was was here almost on his own. Um doing a really good job of brewing beer and um, keeping things going and making sales. Um, but there, were, there wasn't really much. Um, the directors didn't have time um, to manage the company anymore. Um, they needed someone really running, steering the ship. Um, two of the original three investors um, had really lost interest. Um, Peter, our original director, was really the, the driving force behind Three Ravens and he really believed in the brand and wanted to keep it going but needed, needed help. At the same time, MASH had been selling a lot of beer in Victoria um, through their sales rep. Um, 
and really found the Nullarbor quite intolerable journey for beer. Their kegs weren't travelling all that well um, due to the heat. Um, it was expensive to get kegs back to Perth. So they were kind of they, they saw that there was a, a huge market for them to sell their beer over well, Sydney, Melbourne um, and surrounds, but needed somewhere to brew it locally. Um, so it was just good, good timing, really. Um, Mash were looking for somewhere to brew beer in Victoria. Um, through Ravens were looking for, for someone to kind of help run the company and buy out the the partners that weren't interested anymore. So that's where the, the arrangement came together. Uh, Mash's owner came on as our managing director. Fitzy took a, a bit of a backseat while he had some some you know a lot of a lot of things going on personally that he needed to to uh, to focus on. Um, and that's where we've been at. Uh, there was a third partner um, from Western Australia. Uh, he has recently just taken over as our director. Um, so Brad is uh, needing more time to focus on Mash over in WA, so he's stepped down as our uh, managing director so that he can focus on, because, yeah, they're, they're, they're going crazy over in Perth, MASH. They've, they've expanded capacity so much in the last couple of years out into their, their backyard. They've got a, a packaging hall and canning line, and, yeah, they just need need a lot of, uh, yeah, Brad really needs to be focused on their company. Um, so we're going through some changes here, which is kind of exciting. Um, but it's been, it's been great. It, it helped us um, increase our capacity by taking on some really strong brands like the Copycat and grass cutter which has now become Indian ale it's good it means we we can um, brew our beer and and also theirs and have a few different brands a, a more diverse range um, they distribute and brew our beer in, in Western Australia so hmm. yeah it worked really well I feel um, like uh, copycat's one that's going to benefit a lot or has benefited a lot from being brewed here because it's one of those beers that when it's fresh it's zinging and popping and delicious but when it's been through a bit of heat on that trip it can lack a little bit so yeah it must work out for everyone yeah i mean ipa is, is certainly one of those beers that you you want to drink within 10 to 12 weeks um and the nature of logistics um isn't really conducive to that um particularly with the expensive cold freight and cold storage yeah i think i've worked really hard to try and make our copycat as as good as charlie's is because um it's always such a such a great beer when you have it fresh at their brewery or over in wa it took me a while really to figure out what what it was because we're using the same recipe essentially but the the subtleties of of what made theirs different to ours being a you know a gas-fired brew house as, as opposed to our electric or steam sorry theirs is um and water as well the the water profile in the swan valley is wildly different to to ours fluctuates quite a bit so just trying to figure out what the what the the key attributes of their water profile and brew house were and how we could adjust our process to suit um I think uh, when I, uh, about whenever it was, 10 months ago when I um, took over as head brewer, I promptly retired our filter. Um, I've always hated the plate and frame filters. They, uh, yeah, they can be run well. Ours can't, in my opinion. It's too old and beaten up. And rather than replace it, we just switched to fining um, and, and, you know, different process, optimising all our findings through the process to ensure bright beer without filtration. And that's made a massive difference to beers like the Copycat and 55, where hop character is so crucial. Um, it's it's really detriment to push because we'd end up with some hop solids coming through and you'd push the beer through hops so you'd get a haze from the polyphenol and oxygen would get in and the hops would deteriorate really quickly. Not filtering has really allowed us to brew really, really much better versions of, of hoppy beers and have them stay fresh and stable for a lot longer. So, yeah, I'm happy, really happy with how... Have you tasted fresh comparisons of um, Copycat here and there? Yeah, they're pretty close now. Yeah? Um, I, oh, feel, I still think his is a bit brighter um, in some ways and they get slightly different hop character. But they're pretty close. I think Charlie's Charlie was down in Adelaide last year and just went and picked up some copycat from Dan's and was uh, pleasantly surprised that it tasted a lot like his. So does Dan's in South Australia take uh, your beers? Or is I it believe so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. They come okay. from us. I think... Um, that's yeah, kind they, of a weird like midpoint 
um, between Western Australia and yeah. Melbourne. I'm not sure what the breakdown is. I do think we, we've been selling into DCs and, and getting some stock down there. We did most of Australia, really. We're geared more towards production historically. I know that, that MASH are now um, more set up for, for packaging. Um, but historically, they were more of a draft-focused brewery um, and we were more pack-focused, so it made sense for us to do more of the, the bottle distribution. Uh, you talked about filtering and hop character, uh, so we're going to have to s- steer this conversation towards Juicy. <laughs> then, uh, Ewing, Good segue. Yeah, thank you. It was a little bit clumsy there. I, I, it was bitter in my head. but uh, No matter what you talked about, he was going to be yeah. having Juicy. Yeah, yeah. All right, should we take a, should we take a little break and get yeah. some Juicy? Let's Great. do that. <laughs> Let's get Juicy. Just been poured two beers, in fact. Uh, the one we were just talking about, Juicy, which is your uh, New England. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Northeast style. Vermont. Um, we're trying to avoid using those those descriptors um, because I think it's it's you know people tend to pigeonhole it, even though it's such a diverse and varied style, um, and have expectations of what they've read about it. Um, so yeah, ju- we we called it Juicy IPA. It was originally a Little Ravens beer, a one-off. Um, because we're having such fun brewing IPAs, um, it seemed only logical to do something something fun and exciting. It, it did um, tend towards my preference in IPAs, being no crystal malt, minimal bitterness, um, hop hop forward, really celebrating things that I like as well, like protein, mouthfeel, texture. It's now a permanent line. We've just uh, brewed our second batch and really hope for it to be uh, consistent and ongoing. We have um, penciled in some plans to put it into cans pretty soon. Has anyone canned a Vermont? style here yet? Not in Australia as I far as I know. I can't name um, any. Only a matter of time, I'd say. You'll see. But start. it does seem like it's a style that pretty much everyone's trying their hand out at the moment, so mm. you've got to get it out quick. It's pretty exciting. First one. Yeah. yeah. We're lucky to have had a bit of experience with it. Um, it I've seems like everyone's either brewing a, um, a hazy IPA or using finger limes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's, that's an old one, finger limes, yeah. <laughs> You said you had a bit of experience home brewing with this one. Yeah, just a couple of times, really. I've just been fascinated by the the, the process. When I um, when I first heard of it, uh, it was on some brewing radio programs, and they were being really derogatory about it. And I just it's sort obviously of obviously you wanted to brew it as a result of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. I, the more I the more I learned about it, um, I think it was hearing Owen Johnson from HPA talking about biotransformation that really piqued my interest. Um, the notion of there being some actual science um, to support why it's why it's a thing and why they are juicy and why the hop character changes. And that, that, I thought that was really cool. It was something that I wanted to, to learn about and to experience. Um, keeping permanent uh, flavor, hop flavor in beer is, is quite challenging. Um, so it seemed like a really cool um, technique to at least investigate. There's, there's a lot of um, studies being done on, on, on similar things at the moment. So yeah, I think it's a, a really fun time to be exploring um, and it really is pushing the boundaries of hops and how to get more hops in and get them to stay in. Um, Would there be listeners of ours that don't know what the process is? I don't think so. I'll put a link. I've, I wrote okay. about it um, on the website a while back, so I can put a link to that if you're not sure. But um, the, the biotransformation one's an interesting one because most people, when they're talking about it, focusing on the haze, everyone talks about flour. You can't read an article on it. And I think only one or two beers have ever used flour. Um, for it, the, the milk we actually sh- slipped a bit in this one. Ah, uh, yeah, make that three. Then. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people don't talk about it either because it doesn't like, doesn't lead to a particularly stable beer. Um, adding like starch isn't good for for stability. It can 
encourage uh, contamination if your beer gets old or warm or your hygiene's not great. Um, I kind of feel like it might give people gas too. I don't know if it's in a large enough quantity in this. I know that under-attenuated beer homebrews have been a, a leading contributor of flatulence in, um, in really bad homebrewers. Um, so I'm sorry if, if, our, if our latest batch gives you gas. Um, you can blame me. Okay. You go um, first. I did, I did really work. It's a work. good way to know who to avoid at a homebrew club though, right? <laughs> <laughs> Whose beers not to drink yet. Yeah. <laughs> Stinky ones. Um, we, did, we did our first batch in October um, and we, we employed most of the, the, the techniques to try and provide uh, a stable haze, um, lots of protein from triticale, polyphenol from, from early hopping, um, no fining additions. But the, the yeast strain we use, which is a really fruity, awesome English yeast that, that has the enzymes required, uh, it's highly flocculent. So inevitably the beer dropped bright um, and just wasn't as juicy as we wanted or as the consumer expected. So I've, um, I've worked really hard on this one to ensure that it is permanently hazy. Um, and the reason you want haze for those that, that aren't familiar with it is to, to suspend uh, hop oil um, as it clings to, to yeast. Um, so you're trying to retain as much hop from dry hopping by providing a medium to, to keep the oil in. Um, it does. It kind of sacrifices hop aroma to a degree because the oils aren't as free to be driven off um, into the the headspace of the glass. Um, but it sh- it should deliver the hop oil to your palate where it can break off from the yeast and actually give the aroma in your in your mouth. It does lead to a little bit of yeast bite having that much yeast in there. But the beers are so minimally bittered and balanced with protein that the the bite isn't really as as aggressive as it would be in a or more bitter or um, drier beer. Mm. Even if it sacrifices aroma, it's still a pretty pungent and enjoyable aroma anyway. Yeah, the orange juice or grapefruit juice was kind of my first impression of this beer and that's kind of the remarkable things about these beers is when I first started tasting them after reading so much your, your first reaction is oh wow that's juicy like that is the character and it's 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 so hard to avoid that description of it, but it's, I think, it's so true. I don't know if it was on mic, but when we were at Hop Nation, we were talking about how I don't like the descriptor juicy, mm. but it's exactly what it is though. Yeah, so yeah. you have to use it. Yeah, yeah. It's succinct. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think the, 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 the yeast does also give that impression of like, um, I guess the astringency of, of fresh orange juice, that slightly tart. Which yeast did you use in this one? Ours was the London Ale 3 from Y Yeast. Um, I think the, I'm pretty sure that's what Hill Farmstead used. Yeah, yeah I think so. Boddington strain? Yeah, yeah, yeah former Boddington strain. I think it's it's also what, as, as far as I understand, the Vermont, what the Vermont uh, brew pub used to use. I think it's it's evolved in their brew house and become less flocculent, um, which suits the style a bit more than the, the stuff from Y Yeast. Um, there are cool options. I, I judged the Merry Mashers. Uh, IPA comp, the other category in specialty IPA. Is it the local homebrew club? Yeah, Mary Mashers are local to us um, in Melbourne, um, in the north, and um, they run, this is the third year they've run a, a, a BJCP specialty IPA comp. Um, and this year we sponsored the other category with an exclusive case of this batch of Juicy. And there were some really cool, really standout uh, beers. My favourite was, um, and the one that, that won the category, was a was a New England IPA, but brewed with the White Labs Sactoire that was that used to be thought to be Brettanomyces because it is such an unusual Saccharomyces strain. It's really low flocculation, had some funk, but just an intense pineapple, and that it worked so well in that beer. Like the beer just reeked of pineapple juice and really complemented the hops and the style really well. So, yeah, I'm keen to to we're explore gonna, that. Oh yeah, we're going to see a Bre- Brettanomyces version here at any point. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, so Sactoire. I'm happy with how this is how this is working. I like this strain. But maybe in a different different variation, or um, I'd like to trial it first. Who brewed that one from the club? 
I think they go by Northside Brewing. Um, I can't remember the the brewer's name off the top of my head, but they're going to be popping by to grab a grab a case soon. Congratulations! Um, Good job, Northside. Yeah, up on Instagram, I think they're Northside Brewing. You might be able to find them. Uh, you still get involved in the homebrew world of homebrew quite a lot, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I love homebrewers. Um, they're my people. I think um, I love geeking out on on technical um, topics and helping people brew as well. Like I really want the the whole. Um, standard to improve I think it doesn't take much to help a home brewer in the right direction to help guide them give, some, give them some feedback and that's what most, most home brewers want they want to know what they're doing wrong they don't want to feed you their bad beer they want to know what they're doing wrong and how to, how to fix it um, I think the more home brewers we have brewing better beer the more the whole industry is going to, to improve yeah I've kind of taken a few months off grain and grape I do demos down there but works a bit intense for me to, to keep that going but I'll be back in June, um, doing some some demos down there. I'm going to be involved again with Good Beer Week, the um, the homebrew uh, symposium that I um, helped them set up last year, and the Smash Comp. Um, probably less less organisational this year, which is great. Chev uh, at Good Beer Week doing doing such a great job of, of really championing that that homebrew stream. Yeah, love. Um, I've, I went to see the Melbourne Brewers a few weeks ago to talk about fast uh, souring beer. Um, I've done some talks with Mary Mashes on water chemistry and IPA and. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, good crew. I like uh, a lot of brewers. a lot of brewers kind of stop home brewing or kind of find themselves too busy to to get involved in home brew. But I, I guess like when you're, it depends on your level of interest. Um, a lot of brewers do get their uh, satisfaction, or you know, they get enough out of brewing um, in their day job that they don't need any more creative outlet. But I mean, we're doing some really fun stuff here at the moment. But I've still got other things that I want to do that that really wouldn't fit with us um, at the moment and yeah I can't help myself I love brewing sour beer and weed experiments um, so I'm still doing quite a bit of home brewing I've got a, a Riesling beer aging at home and yeah I love uh, I love uh, pushing the boundaries and having fun we've talked about some pretty high high level uh, brewing mechanics so far I'm going to take it way back down to ground level <laughs> what do you do with all your beer <laughs> my homebrew yeah I think I give most of it away yeah right okay um, I've got a pretty big not not ha- not huge, but like a cellar at home, and by cellar I mean a you know five stacks up to the roof sure. in the lounge room. I like sharing it. I like you know sharing it with mates and sharing flavour. Uh, I love having dinner parties and um, just getting amongst it, taking it. I'm in a homebrew club, a very small homebrew club. Some mates we've been been together about seven years, and we just get together every month or two in each other's backyards. It's most mostly a cooking. You know, cooking club where we cook each other dinner and compete in who can make the best pizza base or the best curry. Or fantastic, we have our coffee cuppings and because that's what I was missing. Cheese because that's pretty. That's the main reason why I stopped home brewing because I just was ended up stuck with twenty two liters of like okay pale ale that I could get for probably for cheaper than I, I could get much better pale ale. I don't know. I love it so game, much. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that was it. But I could, you kind of touch on the the communal aspect, um, and you talked about. You know, hanging out here with the guy from Avery Coffee as well and just kind of talking about flavour and, and what you enjoy and, and sharing the, the weird stuff. And like for me, that's a big part of why I like beer is, uh, and food and, and things like that. You know, it's such a communal thing. And, you know, I think sometimes, particularly in the, in the big business, the increasingly big business of, of craft beer, and people might forget that at the end of the day, we just want to taste something fun and, and share that. Um, and yeah. I, I guess that's starting to come across this next beer you've, you've bought us as well, which is the ginger ale. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, sure. So this is um, a variant of our ginger beer. Um, ginger beer is something we've been working on for a long time. I've always enjoyed ginger in saisons. 
And we saw it as, as a potential growth category. Whether that's actually going to happen is, is still dubious. But we wanted to have a go at making a ginger beer from beer. And it, it came about as a, as a concept for a collaboration with uh, New World Whiskey Distillery. Um, they're now getting uh, Boat Rocket to brew a ginger beer for them to season their casks to make their ginger beer cask whiskey. But we got really excited about the idea anyway. So we released uh, Little Raven's uh, Kettle Soured Ginger Lager with some Saison yeast in it as well. It was difficult to communicate. We called it ginger beer to keep it simple. But then we found that the, the venues that took it were more, more mainstream sort of pubs and they couldn't communicate it to their staff who couldn't communicate it to their consumer. So they were serving it on ice or with lime or with cordial. And really, yeah, it just wasn't the right product for that. I think how we called it ginger lager, it probably would, might have communicated better. Um, adding kettle souring and saison in there was, was always fraught with danger, mm-hmm. so we avoided that. Uh, but this is a variation of that. It was a, a 4% kettle soured ginger saison lager um, with some spices. That old one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> this one went Boring. into <laughs> This one went into a, a bourbon barrel. Um, we, we, we formally used this barrel for our Imperial Stout a few years ago, our peated American Imperial Stout with uh, vanilla and cocoa. Uh, it was a Maker's Mark barrel. The stat went well. We emptied it, put some Druid in there last last year or the year before? One of the years? The year before. year before, I think, yeah. And, um, because we had too much beer and we ran out of PX barrels and wine barrels, so we're like, oh, we got this, still got this bourbon barrel. Why don't we fill that up? And uh, it immediately started leaking um, as we filled it. Um, and I thought, that's cool. It's been holding beer for and liquid for the last couple of years. It'll It'll be fine. It'll seal. And it never sealed and... Leaked for months, um, so I stuffed it in the corner of the storeroom and planned to planned to tip it out when I had time. Um, and Adrian McNulty came in after cask off, I think it was, nearly two years ago. Um, saw it in the ba- in the corner, festering with maggots on it, and said, "Hey, what what the hell's that gross barrel in the corner?" It's like that's just a maggot barrel. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it. He's like, "Wow, is that like maggot cheese? I really want to know what that tastes like." Um, so we drilled a hole in it and sampled it, and it was really good. Um, really clean and malty and rich and just had amazing bourbon character and so we kicked that off and sold it as ayahuasca as a nod to the flies that helped mature the beer and that the shamanistic kind of nature of the, the druid we were trying to find like an american reference because it was a bourbon barrel and it ended up being really good and and ended up as our highest rated beer on untapped um so we kept the barrel as as painful and stressful as it was and when, uh, when the Terminus asked for a, 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 to do a collaboration for Good Beer Week, they're the Victorian hub. This was going through our system and it seemed like a, a good opportunity to explore the barrel aging aspect, which is something that I had wanted to do with this beer. Um, so we inoculated it with our um, robust house mixed culture cocktail, bacteria and yeast and all kinds of filth, um, and aged it in this bourbon barrel for a couple of months. It did start leaking again and festering and growing maggots and it was a constant struggle to keep it under under control uh, it's kind of an interesting barrel character though like you get a little bit of warming heat at the back of your throat a little bit but the lime and ginger is so present that it doesn't really overpower i think yeah, the vanilla comes right at the back mm. that bourbon vanilla but uh i really like it it's it's interesting. interesting yeah yeah we dumped some more ginger in the the barrel so some ginger root instead of the uh, fresh ginger and ginger juice and ginger powder that we used in the original and also some loomy limes so, um, so per, like we were Persian kind of thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. They dried? Dried yeah. Iranian limes. They're popping really up in beer a lot lately, aren't they? Yeah, we've used them in our wit beer for the last 11 years or so as a substitute for sweet orange. Not sure if the white's been going that long, but it's been going for a long time. And the other's always been a, a staple part, I guess being so close to Sydney Road and Brunswick. 
it's easy to have access to those Middle Eastern spices and Middle Eastern culture. Um, it's such a great spice. Yeah, I think it's worked well. We, we'd kind of toyed with um, a few different options for this, putting rum in it or putting it in a rum barrel or what sort of, you know, mixed ginger beer drinks we could we could uh, play off. Um, what is the ABV of this beer? Probably about four. Because I'm drinking it four, so four fast. Yeah, yeah. I'm realizing you get a bit yeah. of heat. It's got a little bit of chilli in it, so it might feel hotter than it, than it is. For people listening at home that, I guess, had a question about any of that whole story of that barrel, <laughs> the beer... Uh, I did think of them as we went, but there's just so many that I just decided to wash over them. Maggot cheese, Adrian McNulty, Kaskoff, um, Ayahuasca. Yeah. There's a lot in that story, which is for such a a, a storied beer, it's so lovely and delicate and, and nice. Yeah. We're still deciding what to call it. Yeah, it's going to be on all week, so I think they'll have at least three kegs on it um, at the Terminus. We may or may not be featuring it in our lineup for Vic versus the World. On the on the Tuesday night, I think that is, which is four Victorian breweries pitted against four international breweries in a knockout tournament, um, with some really other fun, exciting beers that we'll be pouring. But yeah, we we still the names up in the air. If anyone uh, has any suggestions, come back to us. the uh, The manager's name's Mark, and he goes by Marky Mark. Okay, um, That's the obvious one then. So Maker's Marky Mark, and the Funky Brew yeah, is right up there. Pretty good. Yeah. Dark and stormy, like Marky Mark and Stormy, like it's. Oh, yeah, I like that. I'm on board with that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a lot of Goldberg movies. Potential. Yeah. How did you go about hopping this? Because there's no not much hop character. There's not much bitterness. How does that? Yeah, this was minimally hopped. I think with Sarts, I believe. So about the minimum to be a beer legally. I think it was about six or eight IBU. So we did the kettle souring, and then uh, boiled to pasteurize, and then did some whirlpool hopping. Uh, so we get quite a, like most commercial breweries, we get a quite a high utilisation from Whirlpool hops. Yeah, so very low and in the Whirlpool was the only hopping on this one. Uh, we mentioned a couple of Good Beer Week events just then. What else could you guys have for Good Beer Week? Anything you can... Yeah, we're doing um, a really fun event with Kirili, uh, the Beer Diva, um, along with La Serene um, at the St Paul's Cathedral, oh, a yeah. beer, cheese and opera evening, which is uh, pretty cool for... Reaching new markets and, you know, entertaining our aunties and grandmas and other people that want to get involved but don't like coming to breweries to drink cask beer. I um, was chatting to Curly's husband about that and he helps, he's helping organise it. And They've got a lot of fun stuff going on at the moment. Yeah, they're really, um, really, really championing beer in different segments and different categories, which is something I'm wildly passionate about too. So good to have other people really helping to raise the bar and, and just teach people that beer is uh, beer can be whatever you want it to be not just you know a uh, commodity and that's a St Paul's Cathedral uh, the one that's the one right in the CBD right? yeah opposite from, Fed Square yeah Fed Square huge, so yeah. that's for, for a place to have a, a beer tasting event with you guys in La Sirene and some cheese thrown in and some opera is, uh, yeah there's about there's a capacity of about a thousand I think uh, we're going to cap it at 500 just to make sure we've got enough beer um, we've got some really fun stuff. We're, we're pouring a uh, Matterized Barley Wine or double, Matterized Double IPA. It's, it's just an old beer that Adrian brewed and bottled some of and it sat around for a long time getting so old. So what does uh, Matterized mean? Because I had a taste of that one actually. I think um, I have a bottle of it at home. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Uh, I think I probably drank it at Christmas time. It was the wrong time to drink it, but it was Fancy fun. word of saying stale. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> in so a good way. Strong and stale basically. Yeah, um, I was really um, – it went into the fridge after fermentation. It didn't finish, so it had some sugar and yeast added to it and then went in the fridge for lagering to hope, you know, hopefully attenuate it, but it didn't. It just sat there. And it kind of, in some regards, emulates like the, the fortified wine process where there's still some sweetness left 
and it's aged sometimes carefully, sometimes not so much. And the the yeast and the sugar and the oxidation develop some really fun flavours. It's you know sherry and port and all of those um, kind of dessert wines and fortified wines rely on those. They call the tertiary characteristics and the oxidative characteristics. I really enjoyed a beer by Baladin, which was a really uh, hard sell as a retailer um, or in bars. It was a 500 mil beer called Xiaoyu, completely still. That's one of their like beer geek favourites, that beer, but you don't... Bureau Reserva. Yeah, yeah, they've got different colours and different versions. Um, named after his daughter's imaginary daughter, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How long should I keep that for, by the way? This is just a personal question. Depends yeah. on the batch, I guess. Like Once you open it, you probably want to either drink it pretty fresh so it doesn't get too stinky or keep it in the fridge. But anyway, this, this beer was a matterized barley wine is what, how he described it. He had hot ferment, filtered the yeast out, intentionally pumped oxygen into it and then aged it in tanks until it was ready, sometimes two or three years. Um, and I learned to really celebrate it at, at Josie Bones when I was the, the beverage manager there because it, it fit the bill. Like it, it, it really helped bridge the gap between wine drinkers and foodies and beer and seeing that there was such similarities and some really interesting flavours that could come from age. We served it in 60 mil tulips and it was it was really great in that environment. We could get through bottles without them turning um, and it was just a, a really useful tool in um, yeah disarming wine drinkers and helping them appreciate that there's there's more to beer. Um, so that's that's yeah something that we're really excited about serving at that at that event um, as well as some wild raven spears and some lacerine. Um, we've got cask off this year. It's an event that um, Holgate invited us to join them in uh, many years ago now and we alternate hosting uh, duties so that's uh, six breweries uh, 12 casks and that's here this year yeah that's at three awesome. ravens every second year we do uh, another uh, barrel and barbecue uh, event uh, that one's really fun we've got some uh, really cool breweries involved this year and some really exciting uh, exciting projects and beers going in there we're doing a, a coffee and beer event with Tallboy and moose unfortunate timing for them given our, our coffee event that we've been planning. But there's quite a few coffee. We're actually doing another one here on the same day, a coffee coffee, chocolate beer and cheese event with uh, Milk the Cow. Ooh, uh, let me keep that quiet from my <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah. I wonder what that noise is going to sound like in our listeners' yeah, headphones that you just uh, made. He just, he just named my girlfriend's four favourite things, so uh, I'm going <laughs> to okay. keep her away from that, that one. one. That yeah. one's organised by Ben's Brewery Tours, um, yeah. so he's going to bring a group down here um, and host that. That kind of event, uh, Tallboy and Moose is is yeah coffee and beer, serving uh, manual coffee. Heaps of heaps of great roasters coming down to serve coffee there, and um, us serving beers. There's two sessions for that one. Um, cask offs on the Sunday. They're both Saturday events. Monday, I believe we've got something on. That might be Vic versus the World. We're we're doing a collaboration um, with a brewery from Portland, uh, Commons. Uh, some of you might have heard of them. Um, I met the head brewer Sean a few years ago at Bivana and. Awesome dude, great guy. They're, they're one of the, the breweries to watch out for in, uh, in Oregon, uh, doing some really exciting stuff. Really similar mindset, I think, to, to me in, in wild beer and farmhouse ales and approach to brewing. So that's, that's really cool. They're going to be at uh, the Catfish sometime during the week. Um, so check the schedule for all those Portland brewers. I can't think of anything else. We've probably got a few others that we're involved with. The Commons one, they, when they were at Beavana that time, they were right down the end with the Portland brewers. Yeah. I remember like, my first taste of one of their beers. I was just like, wow, I'm probably just going to stay here and drink Commons beers all day. And that was um, – Yeah, agreed. Yeah, they, they were just really well made uh, and I, I've been wanting to try them again ever since. So Yeah, and there's the really um, really nice tie in there is that um, uh, Paul Caston, who was the other uh, Portland uh, celebrity, I guess, at Bivana that year, uh, met 
uh, Kate Patterson, his now partner yep. there, and um, she went over to help them with Bivana, and then he moved to um, moved to Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, so it's a cool cool time. I'm, I'm glad that he's getting some of his mates over. Yeah, or so has Kate, the opportunity to hang out Kate's, with his mates. Uh, what, what's her title now for Good Beer Week? Director or boss? Boss director, yeah. probably. Man, I haven't even looked at the Good Beer Week guide. And a lot of yeah, things I've you just said were... I've had I a look through. To look at the guide. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, once I lost motivation at work on one day, I just was just tapping through it and I messaged you or I emailed you that day and I was just like, man, the quality of everything just looks unbelievable. Mm. The stomping ground event with, um, is it Dan, the dude yeah, from I'm Torst? Going. Yeah, yeah, I'm like taking that. my girlfriend there for that one. That's going to be a good one, I think. I think, yeah. I'll, I think I'll jump in there before it sells out. This is also our first Gabs. Like we've um, we've missed the boat or missed the entry the last few years. Oh, we've wow. we've planned and hoped to do them, but just you know, miss out well, <laughs> by um, accident. Yeah, we've can, can, we've known about uh, how they operate. I imagine you're not allowed to say anything. You I actually I actually double checked with them a couple of days ago because I, I I thought in the past that was under embargo, but it's just the sale of the beers under embargo. So you're oh, actually oh, to there, there's already media coming out about them. A few already. Of them, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Yeah, so we're doing um, uh, sort of an extension of the Juicy IPA. Uh, we're doing a Mango Lassie uh, Kettle Soured Milkshake IPA. Uh, of course. <laughs> Does that sound um, like a Gabs beer? Yeah, yeah. No, like that sounds like, I mean, you could have named that several ways, but I think the way you've named that is going to make it one of the ones people talk about. Yeah, we're just going with Little Raven's Mango Lassie IPA as the, as the name of the beer. But yeah, a bit of kettle souring with yogurt bacteria. Yeah, mango puree and nectar, uh, cardamom. Um, lots of protein, lots of lactose, some fruity hops. Haven't decided on hops yet, but we've got some fun stuff coming in from the US really soon. Awesome. Can you tell us what those hops are? Um, the couple that really that I'm excited about using soon are Eureka and Denali. Um, a couple of hops that have really been bred, like like most hops are nowadays, for intensely high oil content. Um, as a result, they have high alpha, but yeah, both very high oil, pushing kind of three and a half, four mils of oil per 100 grams, which is right up there. Uh, it means you get a lot more flavour from the hops. Now let's take a short break uh, and then um, come back and I've got a question probably about a beer at the other end of the scale of maggot beer. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to the basics when we come back. Now, we have talked about all the, the weird and wonderful things coming out of Three Ravens, uh, but there's one beer that you've just put into a can as your first first can using uh, East Coast Canning. That's right, yeah. Yeah, awesome dudes. Yeah, really efficient. Great great blokes. Really good at what they do. So that's the mobile canning line here in, in well, on the East Coast of Australia. Uh, and it's the Thornbury Lager, which is pretty much a straight down the line lager, is that? That's a Pilsner. Australian Pilsner. Pilsner. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a concept that really came to me or was, you know, put on me uh, by Shane Morley from Steam in New Zealand. He's a, a regular judge at the Beer Awards in Australia. And one year he asked, why is no one doing Australian Pilsner? Because as you probably know, New Zealand Pilsner is such a thing. Emerson's has, has done such, such a great job of championing Kiwi hops in Pilsner. And it was really that that style that really made me appreciate fresh hop character in Pilsners. The, the lagers and Pilsners we got in Australia were always generally quite tired. But tasting the Emerson's uh, fresh really blew my mind and made me love and learn to love lager. That and the Weinstefan um, Helles, which I, um, I found myself dreaming of, um, unbeknownst to me, like just really longing for the malt character and the delicate kind of yeast. So it's a, it's a really fun style. But um, yeah, Shane asked why no one was doing it and I didn't have a good, a good explanation. I said, 
well, we should be. Yeah. You know, we've got such great hops and we love lager and I guess it's intimidating for a lot of brewers or they, they want to distance themselves from lager. So I, I had an opportunity uh, when I was at Josie Bones to brew a beer with uh, Bridge Road. Um, they were doing the bar oh, series. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, they invited 12, 12 of their customers to, to come and brew a beer with them and I was very enthusiastic about uh, brewing um, and wanted, to, wanted something for us for our taps that would work well. And uh, Pilsner really jumped out. Like I really wanted to brew a really hoppy Pilsner. I'd been thinking about the concept for a while. So um, yeah, we brewed a, a, a quite a hoppy, bitter German-style Pilsner, but with Australian hops and malt, and it worked really well. It was such good fun. Our customers loved it. I loved the way the beer turned out. Um, obviously, they have a lot of experience, as we discussed earlier, brewing the chestnut Pilsner, so they know how to lager and good, clean brewery. So it's, it's really an extension of that. It's really wanting to brew something that celebrates Australian produce, Australian malt and Australian hops, which I don't think anyone had really done until that point. I know Crown, I was talking to Chuck Hahn about it and he said that Crown had a Pilsner at one point that might have been the first Australian Pilsner. Uh, but most people tend to use some European hops or some American hops or some Kiwi hops. So yeah, it was, it was trying to find a, a product that was different, unique, marketable, I love. I just love pilsner. You know, German pilsners, Czech pilsners. They're so drinkable. Um, I think as you mature, as your beer, beer palate develops, um, you really and it, it's the same with food and wine. You, you appreciate and, and coffee uh, finesse and subtlety, um, and that's really what a pilsner is. It's a, an expression of subtlety and nuance and um, process and really nailing some really um, quite finicky and, and detailed things. Um, so it's a good challenge. I really like the challenge of balancing a pilsner and, and getting the right yeast character and getting the right balance of minerals and hops. It's funny you mentioned that uh, sort of like subconscious reference to Vine Stefana because I remember I talked to Luke years ago now but I've got like a shitty bottle shop around the corner from my house that has nothing fun except for like an extensive range of Vine Stefana all the time and sometimes I just need to go and get a couple. I just need that <laughs> just to go and like recalibrate so myself. Yeah. yeah, It's always, always consistent. It's always yeah, the same. It's always like it's like, a, it's like a, it's a range of style guidelines. And uh, it sort of just calibrates you a little bit and just hits a little spot that doesn't really. Did we talk about this places. on Mike last week? Because I did the same thing recently. Where I, I never buy their beers. Emma's, Emma, my girlfriend's a big fan of them. But um, I was in the bottle shop and I was going to watch a movie later on with my brother. And I was like, I just kind of want to drink some, you know, down the line, a down the line half and a, a pilsner, and it was great. But like down the like down the line in that context is great because it gets mm. you just reacquainted with the line. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a reset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Australian hops. Which hops have you used? This, this for this round. Um, this last twelve months, we've been using uh, Summer uh, an 035 predominantly. Uh, Summer, I think, such an awesome hop. It's unfortunate that it's getting pulled out of the ground. Oh, really? Yeah, this is kind of its last commercial season. The one that's being harvested now. Why it's, is that? Do you know? Yeah, it's agronomics. Just too unreliable. Um, nothing wrong with the hop. It just grows at different times a year. Each it's really finicky. They get high yield, low yield, yeah, right. high or low all, um, early, late, and they need to structure their production around when the kilns are free. Um, so they need things to behave and ripen in line with their expectations. Because if they're you know if they're kilning galaxy and all of a sudden summer's ripe, they've got no way to harvest and dry it. Just stop killing galaxy, right? There's, no, there's <laughs> not no too much that stuff anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's a great hop. It was a derivative of Sartes. Um, beautiful. I think the last, just last year, the, the, the stuff we've been using was one of the best crops that had real amazing stone fruit character, apricot and peach and uh, melon, really delicate. But but what I love about it is it's uh, alpha acid. It's, it's relatively low, which is quite uncommon in uh, modern hop varieties to get a hop with low alpha acid. 
And to me, that's really the key to making a, a proper Pilsner that, that has the bitterness of a Pilsner. I really, I love Kiwi Pilsners. They're their own thing, but they don't taste like lagers to me. I mean, a lot of them aren't using lager yeast for one, but it's the, the high alpha uh, modern hop varieties tend to produce a, a quite a distinct bitterness and it's quite sharp and aggressive. It's hard to get the, the, the bitterness that's rich and progressive and mouth-filling that you get from like a really good traditional Pilsner. So summer's really been great for this beer. Um, we've contracted enough to keep us going for the next year, 18 months, while we find a, another suitable option. 035 was an experimental variety that we used for the first time in collaboration with uh, CUB and Thunder Road for the Gert by 3. And we got some stuff from Victoria. We went up and picked um, some binds and they were incredible, really awesome hop. The stuff we got contracted was grown in Tasmania and not quite the same. So similar, nice and spicy and peppery and more of a lager hop than an IPA hop, which was what we wanted. But this hasn't really delivered the 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 punch um i haven't completely written it off I'm, I'm hoping to you know hops tend to take a few years to settle in and find their feet whether or not 035 is gonna gonna get there is is questionable but yeah so maybe incidentally i tried 035 yesterday in a dry hop at bridge road um, the victorian growing it must have been if it was because it was part of their uh trial, oh, hop trial hop series yeah. so i'm guessing they would have got it been their proximity to the hop farms um and that the peppery character was was what Ben was talking about, which he which he really enjoyed. So um, I don't know if that hop is is going to you know expand yeah. or, or whatever. The fact that it's still got a code name is indication yeah. that it's it's been you know in development three four years. Yeah. Maybe hasn't really taken off. We did use some Ella as well. Um, I was hoping to get Vic Secret and uh, Enigma last year, but yeah, just missed out. Those will probably find their way in. Definitely Enigma. Not so sure about Vic Secret. I think it's still a bit punchy and potato salad like for. For a pilsner, but we'll we'll see what happens. I think um, potato salad like that's the first time I've heard that yeah. descriptor. I'm looking forward <laughs> to hearing dill, it. Yeah. I think. Right. Like creamy and dill, like yeah, like right. ice. I think okay, yeah. got to be used correctly. Yeah. Okay. Celery yeah. is yep. kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, there's some real depending on ripeness. I think if if they're over ripened, um, which they tend to do for alpha. I just rewatched Song, and yes. uh, they use some very very entertaining descriptions, and that one just really would fit in exactly yeah. in with that. Yeah, I try I try to keep beer approachable and personable, but at heart I'm a I'm a wanker, so I've got to use pretentious language. I think um, freshly opened can of tennis balls was oh, the best one. The that Riesling, was the best yeah. one that, for the reason. But yeah. that's um, I was chatting to someone about the Cicerone course, and they were talking about the emphasis on. Uh, conversing with the customer and sort of being aware of what the customer's going to, you know, tolerate or, or be willing to listen to. And last night I was in a, a wine bar and I was always in a mood to think. And someone else next to me was like in the mood to geek out and they were just going hard. And our interaction was so different with, with the guy behind the, the counter and he kind of knew straight away that this person knew it. And so he pulled out a, a really old Pinot Gris that he was saving from a special occasion. They tasted that. And so there's this amazing world of wine geeky so far above anything I knew. And then I got, I got exactly what I wanted as well. So it's kind of interesting that, that, as you say, you know, it's fun to geek out, but it's also... Yeah, it's important to still reach your consumer. And that's that's um, something we've been very wary of with the, the, the Thornbury Lager. Not wanting to intimidate people, like wanting to be inclusive and approachable. I think we've managed to find a, a beer that's both appealing to um, hardened beer geeks because they, they love good clean pilsner, but also mainstream drinkers because it's not too much of a departure from what they do. And it, very much in our copy and the fact that we've named it Thornbury Lager as the brand name and the style Australian pilsner means that it's, it's if we had called it Thornbury Pilsner, that probably would have been a bit confusing for, for a lot of people. Um, 
not that we want to confuse people and make them thinking it's a, a pale lager or a, you know an Australian lager when it's really a pilsner. But yeah, just just wanting to be approachable and um, yeah, we had to be. I had to really tone down my um, my verbose language um, in the in the copy and, and style notes and yeah, just to try and keep it keep it real and simple. It's just a bloody lager, mate. Yeah, it's just all you need to put. <laughs> I think it's taken longer than I anticipated for um, smaller breweries to make a very basic, clean, approachable lager that everyone likes. Like it's a bit white man voodoo, I think, to a lot of craft brewers, unless they've worked in lager breweries and understand there's a modern way to brew lager that's that's very easy and simple, as long as you nail all the, the, the small details. I think a lot of people are caught up in the tradition and, and old wives' tales of Czech and German brewing and the stuff that has no basis in science. It's just folklore and... But it's such, a, no it's such a direct way to bridge that gap between... I mean, people tried to work on their uh, entry-level entry beers, gateway beers, but, I mean, this is the obvious way to do it. How long do you think we lager this for? Uh, that was going to be my question. Yeah. I think that you're going to probably answer it by that question you just asked. Yeah. Man, that was confusing. Yeah. Um, the, the nothing based in science kind of a thing, the folklore, because... Within the brewing world, there's a lot of folklore of things that don't actually hold up in practice. So what are the things that you don't think are in based in science? I'm guessing lagering time is... is yeah, I think like fermentation profiles, um, lagering times, um, flavour development and insisting on certain aspects of, you know, slow increase in temperature or really extended cold maturation or degree... One weird one that I don't quite understand if someone out there can help me get my head around it, that'd be great, but de decreasing the temperature a degree a day over like 10 days or 20 days or something for some reason it just seems so it seems like such such a waste of yeah. time and money and tank space and how long was this lager for to turn your question back what on really lager um, okay i mean we chill like we we do like a we start cool um brand the profile up after after the growth's done um to allow for faster vdk reduction which you know all breweries want and then once it's clear we find it with a finding recirc chill it, yeast off, a couple of days later transfer it to bright tank. So it doesn't, it's actually quicker to make than our pale ales. That's actually um, kind of funny because last show we chatted to Ash from Colonial and he's very much uh, centred in the science around Yeah, totally. Around I think anyone that's been through Little Creatures gets it, you know, sure. they, they have the but, modern um, approach. He's a believer in lagering but brought up that there's not really any science to back that up. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that can improve improve clarity and flavour, I guess. Like there is some hop hop development and yeast dropping out. And uh, yeah, for me, because I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago, as in why would you why you like? I remember you asked that question, like kind of like yeah, I got this one in the chamber ready to go. Yeah. yeah, and and like as I was thinking about it, someone else asked it on social media, like publicly, what is the reason for the three weeks? You know, which is kind of the standard that everyone uses, and people are like, oh, you know, the, the makes the flavours more rounded. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, and yeah, I can totally. see, you know, conditioning is important as, as you know, as a home brewer, it's probably pretty important. But I understand the history. Like, uh, back in the, like the, the the Czech days, they had open fermentation, oak vats, or oak vats. They, in order to make the beer fizzy, they had to decrease the temperature during fermentation so that the CO two produced was still in solution. So that when they put it in casks and rolled it up and served it, it was fizzy. Um, but because of that decreased temperature profile going from like, you know, whatever it is, 10, 12 degrees down to four or whatever the cooler temperatures were, meant that the metabolism slowed. So fermentation slowed, reduction of sulfur slowed because it wasn't vigorous, reduction of diacetyl slowed. 
So it really took two to three months for the beer to actually go through that maturation um, and development and conditioning. Um, so you really needed that time for the, for the beer to be palatable for the you know, VDK and sulfur reduction. But if you do the you know the modern with you know using um, temperature controlled vessels and introducing CO two rather than spunding, you can do it a lot quicker. Spunding, I guess, is is one like you know traditional method that brewers like Last Drop over in um, in Bedford Dale in WA still use, and they Krausen. What is spunding? So capping the uh, sealing the vessel while it's fermenting to keep CO two in. Um, and then adding spunding, uh, sorry, krausening is adding green beer, a uh, known quantity towards the end of fermentation to cause a re-fermentation so that you don't have to add, he doesn't have any CO2 bottles or doesn't use any extraneous gas. He relies on everything in-house from fermentation to carbonate his beers. So in that regards, like that, that can decrease metabolism. So his beers do need a bit more lagering and conditioning. If we have any German listeners, and I'm not sure we do, uh, I'm sure they're freaking out a little bit in terms of the term lagering or lager isn't really like the way we use it in, I guess, the Western world, or not the Western world, sorry, the, the non-German world is yeast, but in Germany it's the process, which is keeping it cool for extended yeah. period. So if this was Germany, probably not a lagered beer, technically. It has a period of cold conditioning. Okay. <laughs> and, and that's kind of one of the, I don't know, it's more of an aside, that, that fun little quirk of the beer world where you know, a, a Kolsch ale yeast, it's actually lager because it's lagered in that style. And yeah. It's funny you bring up Last Drop as an example though because I remember when I first was a noob in beer and Tokyo was fun for me and all that sort of stuff. I remember Last Drop, the first ever Gabs, which was 20 beers at the Tap House, first one, Last Drop, made just a pretty clean lager and that was the first time since discovering all those wacky 18% beers that I was like, hang on, this is pretty delicious. <laughs> Jan's a legend. He was like the second craft brewer in Australia as far as I know. Like he was he was kind of just after Grand Ridge um, and Matilda Bay, but he's been at it for uh, probably 25 years or something. He's trained by Staropraman, just doing his own thing. I know the, nothing about Armadale. I know the name. They've got a lot of brew pubs around uh, Melbourne um, that he distributes his kegs to, like kind of independent franchises. Doesn't really package a lot, just does kegs. He was doing five litre kegs for a while. Very, very under the radar. Awesome dude. Um, he's like really, really into working out. He's really well built. I reckon he could lift like 100 kilos of malt on each shoulder. Uh, one man band. Efficiency. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just getting he's efficiency. That's such a nice guy. He's, he's always been a, a real key component, I think, of the WA Brewers Association. Um, you know, his family work with him and his, his sons are kind of getting involved and just lovely people. Great to see at beer festivals. And he, he does like traditional styles really well, like dark lager and lager and vice beer. Um, he's done some cool pale ales and saisons, but really tries to stick to just traditional European beers done in that, in that way. And yeah, I don't think there's many people doing beers very traditionally like he does. Um, definitely worth checking out if you're in Western Australia or see his beer around on tap anywhere. How's the reception been for the uh, Thornbury Lager? Yeah, great. Um, the, the kegs, uh, I mean, this is our 16th batch, so we've done quite a lot on draft and it has had, had pretty good engagement, I think, from, from our locals. Um, the uh, local pubs kind of love that it's got the tram on the, on, the, on the artwork. I think that's a feature of the beer. Um, finding the right balance between yeast and yeast character um, and hoppiness has been tricky. I love the Bavarian Lager Strain 3470. But I think a lot of our regular customers found it a little bit too sulfury, and that's kind of what I loved about it. They related that to Carlton Draft, which is you know sulfur 
different people perceive it different ways. So we've we've switched to a different strain, which is still has a beautiful lager character, another German strain, but tends to pr- um, promote more hops. So it allows us to get more hop character from just kettle hopping. Yeah, I think this can batch is, is one of the best ones we've done. I think we've just been slowly refining the recipe to the point that it that it is palatable to a to a mainstream consumer as well as the beer geek. Um, maybe it's just drinking out of a tin. Maybe it's psychosomatic. This feels right. The tin looks great as well. I wonder if the the designer um, who was it? You, you mentioned him. Uh, Studio IO uh, Simon Bent, awesome dude. He's been uh, been at, at it for a very long time. He did uh, Up in Smoke and Eight Bit, which I think some of the um, some of the listeners might might recognise in Footscray. It has a almost a, a football AFL team feel yep. to the the label. Um, and I was at the Thornbury Bowls Club drinking it on tap playing bowls and that's a very 70s yeah, the, um, looking venue and yeah, the umbrellas look cool they love it too they yeah. all their team rock the thornbury lager t-shirts and are so Great. proud of of being you know thornbury forward yeah um yeah it's it, a cool uh, cool relationship we have and with them. so the look of the can you know it ties in with with that feel and it's not too you know it just kind of it, it fits in and you look at it and go oh that makes sense with what that yeah, is yeah it's modeled modeled largely on the old mac card the old uh, tram card that you'd get stamped get a hole punched in it as you got on and off um, so Simon, Simon's great at, at looking at the holistic brand and history and, and kind of, yeah, the bigger picture of the, the design before he goes into it. So we, we drew on a lot of elements from um, historic beer brands um, and just iconography of trams and um, kind of tried to try to create something like the beer that would appeal to a, a diverse range of people like, um, you know, young beer drinkers, old beer drinkers, everyone in between without, without intimidating anyone. But I think at the same time, like the way that I shop for um, takeaway beers these days is I'm getting a six pack of something in a can usually Mm. and then a couple of other more interesting things or challenging things. And this is the first time I've had Thornby Lager out of the can. And after one sip, I was like, this is going to be one that I'm going to get six pack of when I go Mm. and buy them. So uh, I think it works well. Speaking of more challenging things, uh, this is a barrel sample that we've also got next to us, uh, which is... Tell us about this one. So this is the the kind of the next progression of the Wild Raven series. The first three releases were based on a, a, a Flanders style uh, red ale, um, going through a variety of uh, techniques, a um, little bit of kettle souring, uh, mixed fermentation, barrel aging. This one has is similar. It's it's much paler, brewed with some oats, um, oats and rye uh, for texture, but otherwise very simple. Half of the batch was kettle soured, the other half not. Fermented with our English yeast um, for some nice esters. And then inoculated with a, a, a house culture that we've been working on for a while. This one's really, it's really robust. It's got a lot of bottle dregs from old homebrews that I've made, a lot of commercial beers. I got a really raging culture from a Tilquin bottle, um, which had a heap of enteric bacteria and bacterial character, which is awesome and amazing aromatics, reminiscent of, of most of the great Belgian lambics. Well, Tilquin's probably coming from exactly, most yeah. of the Belgian yeah, lambics. That's right? the, the beauty of that it comes in so fresh um, and that it does have so much um, diversity in, in culture, um, as well as a lot of commercial cultures as well. Um, but that, that mixed culture's worked well in, in quite a few of our beers lately. So that, that batch was inoculated and then aged in uh, wine barrels. Um, they're all fairly similar, quite clean. I think that, that partial kettle souring inhibited anything too stinky. Um, the acids come up pre- pretty quick um, from where it was. Uh, when it went into the barrels, these are about six months old. Um, this is one of my favourite barrels. What do, what do you taste? What are your um, your impressions? Um, I'm getting delicacy more than anything else. It's, yeah, it's like it's not it's not overwhelming. Um, I really like the oak character. Like um, it's something that's come out more than previous beers that have been in those barrels. Um, there's some oak sweetness. There's that real um, 
I, I, I kind of think of it as, I think because uh, someone I worked with at Josie Bones described it this way once, uh, battery acid, like that real steely, almost Riesling, bright. Flinty? Is that that yeah, kind of? Yeah, yeah. Um, So you almost get some white variety, an, an oaky wine variety, uh, Chablis maybe kind of. Yeah, I think um, the, the another beer that I brewed with that Tilken blend had very intense, kind of like Chardonnay sweetness. Um, and it was maybe the oak as well that gave that impression. Um, but Chardonnay fruit. Um, which I think is really cool. Um, I'm excited to say we've got quite a few barrels of this. I think this is like a particularly exciting one because there's a lot going on uh, pretty low-key though. So And it's, yeah, a very, very Venus in terms of this. I, you know, I also get marzipan and um, like a little bit of cherry in there and, and just yeah. little touches a lot of, of things. The English cherry, strain yeah. that, um, yeah, okay. that, is, that you get from our English and, and black. Uh, very similar fruit character. Mm. I've got another another sample here that I'm going to pour out, which is um, two barrels um, that were racked onto Riesling fruit. So this is a project that I've been excited about for a really long time and wanting to do. Um, I love aged Riesling, um, the flavour development that you get, like that cracker, biscuity flavour, but also the the um, diesel, um, petrol kind of vibe. Um, so I, I've always wanted to make a, a, a beer that develops that that character over time. Um, so uh, this is obviously a long way to go. This was um, King Valley Fruit uh, from a winery called Rochford. Um, I drove out there um, on a Saturday after a grain and grape demo and picked up um, a, a tub of fruit that had just been pressed. Um, they'd pressed it, sealed up the container for us as best they could, and it's clean. I brought the fruit back, uh, put it into a colony call. Yep. Uh, Luke's just had a sip and it's, it's dried out his entire body. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> um and it's been on there for a few weeks. I think I'm going to take it off the fruit pretty soon because it is getting quite dry and aggressive. But, yeah, it's good fun. I love blurring that line between beer and, and, uh, so and wine. So the base beer Super is... Super dry. Wow. Uh, the base beer is... Two barrels of this golden sour. Oh, okay. So it's that. Um, yeah, different barrels. They're all slightly different. I picked um, a, a couple that had different characteristics. One was really mild acid because I knew I was going to get heaps from the, yeah, from yeah. the Riesling. One had some really nice funk and flavour development. Um, but yeah, it's been on there for a little bit. We're going to pull it off the fruit and probably blend it down to a point that it's a bit more palatable. Um, but it is exciting. Um, uh, it's, see, the, it's kind of smoky. My initial reaction having something this dry, um, and this is one of the driest things, one of the driest drinks I've ever had in my life, is the f- what food you could have with it. There's so much food potential with something this insanely dry. Like, Kind of reminding me of being at Henry of Harcourt a few weeks ago. Um, Drew took us around the orchard Um and we were tasting all these apples yeah. that go into his blends and go into his ciders. And there was some pears that he gave us that were like they burnt my throat. They were so dry. Yeah. Like they sucked all the moisture out of my body. And um, yeah, because it's a similar experience like that. That tannin and that astringency is great in a blend as a, as a component of things. Um, but on, their, on its own, it can be pretty full on. I think it's going to need a lot of balance. So I guess things like this would be where you see the future of, of what you want to do. To a degree, like I think it's really fun. I, uh, don't get me wrong, I still love Pilsner and Pale Ale and Whitbeer and Rack Beer. And we've got some really cool um, traditional styles that we brew. They may not be like the rock stars of the you know craft beer drinking world, um, but they're, I think they're really good examples of, of their style. Um, so I have fun doing these things and I really enjoy it um, and love the opportunity to engage with a different market with these products, um, with people like Kiralee and, and restaurants and... Um, it's it's yeah it's it's good to have fun and explore all those um, frontiers of beer. I mean this this is something that's been done in Belgium for a really long time. The the Druven Lambic 
um, like the Kention Vigneron and St. Lambinus have always been a couple of my favourites. Yeah, I'm looking to do some other great versions of this while, um, while the fruit's in season um, and see where they go. I'll definitely have um, probably a lot shorter contact time with the future and maybe try and avoid stems and seeds. Um, this one's pretty pretty heavy on those really tannic characteristics. But yes, nothing you can't blend out. It's, it's got some really exciting um, um, aspects, I think, this, this beer. Jeremy House at White Rabbit has just released something quite similar as well, uh, you know, with the, the blend of the, the wine or, or beer on, on wine um, with the what's it, sour red Grand Cru. Did you get a t- chance to taste that one? I haven't, no. Not the, not the straight brand blend yet. Yeah, it's I'm really good. To it. Yeah. That's, is that an unpasteurised as well? Or? I think so, yeah. It's all, um, yeah, and that was really, really good. So the, the core range we haven't really talked about, and we kind of talked about it earlier in the, in the brewery that, you know, Three Ravens was, was definitely one of the early craft beer brands for, for me and um, I know Emma as well. She said the same thing. Yeah, me too. And we kind of, we, we drifted away over the years with, um, you know, new and shiny things coming to the market. Then revisiting it recently, maybe in the last 12 months, uh, you know, picking up a six pack here and there. I've, I've really enjoyed them. So has that been a focus of you as well, sort of tweaking those core range to, to sort of, I guess, almost modernise them? I think to a degree, like it's it's inherent in a brewer's um, nature to try and make the best example of what they're making and to, re- to react to different ingredients and different hops and different fermentation conditions. And um, yeah, no, no brewer's just going to rest on the laurels and let, let it be a flounder if it's not working or if it needs needs help. And I, I guess because I, I love all the, the historic styles, um, I really want to see our beers be the best that they can. And getting, getting um, results like um, Champion Beer at the Perth Royal Beer Show for our uh, Rauk Beer and nearly winning Best of Show at CBIA last year uh, for our Wit Beer is, is really great because like, they're such um, – they don't sell huge volumes for us, particularly the Wit Beer. It's nearly dropped out of our portfolio a couple of times due to lack of sales and then has picked up um, right at the final hour. And it's, it's funny. It happens with a lot of our beers. Like our old beer kind of dropped off when we introduced Thornbury Lager, but now it's had a, a renewed interest – um, in the last few months, so it's yeah, it's it's interesting to see w- whether we persist with those those historic brands, um, the beers that really define the, the history of Three Ravens. It's it's been um, interesting for me for the last few years trying to figure out what Three Ravens means. Um, there wasn't a lot of thought put into maybe there was, but it wasn't documented. Um, the what the brand means, what the company means, what the what the beers are, what they're meant to be, and what people like about them. Um, so it's been it's been interesting trying to find out what what our consumers love about the beers, what I can change, what I can't change, um, what really the essence is of what we're doing. And the Wild Laven's branding uh, was, was very much driven by the, the story of where our name came from. Trying to retell some of the, the history that's, that's, that had kind of been lost. Where I don't know name? if many people, yeah, would even know that. So what's the story? So Ben was our original brewer, um, Ben Pattinson. He, was an, he, he came on as an engineer in the engineering firm whose office we're sitting in at the moment. Um, it's now Cobrew. He... Only, he said, I'll only join your team if you start a brewery, is how the legend goes, I think. And they uh, they used to drink a local pub brew, pouring real ale. That closed. They decided they'd brew their own real ale here, pretty much so the engineers could hang out in their debaucherous man cave downstairs, the Pleasure Palace, um, and continue their, their love of craft beer. And so he the name came from a beer that he brewed for a mate's wedding. Um, he's a, 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 still a goth, um, really into goth culture and... Um, the Norse mythology and so he, he came up with this story um, about uh, a third raven in Odin's pack so Odin has two ravens but he's got this story where um, Odin sent his ravens off to discover the key of human happiness to so that Odin could make a potion 
to make people happy so he could have a vacation. And when he sent his ravens off, uh, Loki sent his prankster raven called Jack off to spy on them and just really troll them while they were uh, doing their research trip. And when they came back to Odin to report back, um, Hugin and Munin had really boring stories like, oh, the key's knowledge and the key's you know, experience. And then Jack just started telling riddles and, and Odin got really angry and uh, was going to kill Jack. Uh, but then the other ravens jumped in front and started telling riddles as well. And kind of, it's really symbolic, I think, of the, the nature of beer and uh, kind of the, the creative aspect of a science, like turning a, yeah, like an engineering firm, like very dry, boring science, really analytical, starting a, a creative industry like brewing, which is all about colour and flavour and art and history. Um, I think it's that great amalgamation of, and almost like a third eye as well. So incorporating that third raven into his pack became like, uh, brewery you know like it had the the science and the knowledge and the history but also the creativity and the the, the third eye forward thinking explorative aspect um yeah so it kind of yeah it's it's very it seems like a very generic brewery name having a, a number and an animal in it um but it's a cool three, story was three dogs taken uh, <laughs> all i could think of during that story was you need to make an annual release uh that is your wild and wacky whatever the furthest out there idea is and call it Jack every year. We should, yeah. Mm, 2017 Jack. Is it, isn't there like Jack. Was Wednesday or Day for Cantillon is, you know, it's a cheeky, like Swans is kind of mm-hmm. cheeky sense of humour. So you could have Jack Day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool story. And I, yeah, we're going to work on, um, to figure out how we bring through Ravens into the modern beer world. Yeah, there's so much going on now. Like what, what we created 13 years ago isn't, doesn't really translate. Uh, it's hard to communicate what we're doing given our current labelling and branding. So we're working on it. It's good fun. I love I love marketing and branding. Hmm. Just a side note, for want of glass space, I put what was left of my uh, sour <laughs> into the Riesling beer, made about a 50-50 blend, and it is delicious. <laughs> yeah. I think we've just uh, nailed the final blend. Yeah. Live on air. 50-50, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you've got 50% of one, 50% of the other. Exactly. Okay. That yeah. Two barrels. The math yeah. works out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a equals 100. Yeah. It'll be a much bigger batch than I anticipated, but <laughs> tastes delicious. The last beer we've got yes. uh, is a soon-to-be-released uh, mash beer. Uh, I thought you released it. Did you have a release party last week? Well, we had a party. We'd penciled it in thinking that labels would be here and they're still not here. So it's, uh, it's a d- derivation of the, the WizFizz blend of ice under the mash label. Uh, this one was our Brewer Murray's idea a couple of years ago when we started the series. Um, he said, because he's a mad whiskey fiend as well, said, oh, can we do a whiskey sour? I said, yes, yes we can. That's a great idea. So we put it on the board and had always planned to do it. And quite a few people did one last year, mm. um, which didn't really, you know, didn't deter us. We still had planned to and wanted to do it and had, had plans. But it's, yeah, it's funny that, that I think three local breweries ended up doing something really similar while we were in development and, and heading towards doing it. Yeah, but we didn't didn't deter us. I think it's such a cool cool concept and strong that we persisted. It's um, WizFizz that's been aged in some whiskey barrels um, from the New World Whiskey Distillery. Uh, they actually had a lot more whiskey in them than we thought and anticipated. Um, so what was intended to be like a slightly boozier version of our WizFizz, which went into the barrels at 2.9%, ended up after bottle conditioning um, coming in at 8.1%. Um, <laughs> which is funny that we, you know, uh, being like Le- Lemmy-inspired artwork, he demands mostly whiskey. Yes. Um, so it kind of works really well. We, we Sorry, is that what this beer is? 
This let me party. Yeah. Eight point one percent. Eight point one percent. Good lord! It's How, way under that. I have a question. Um, what would you normally anticipate then from a whiskey barrel? One to two percent. Yeah, okay. I'd say it would be pretty normal. Sometimes more, depending on the thickness of the staves, and but not. We got lucky. Six. <laughs> well, maybe half to bottle conditioning. So maybe I feel one like this beer could be an assassin, though. Not a beer. You can't call a beer. Really? You can't at all? <laughs> well, not if the ATO is listening. They listen as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huge follow. So this is, this is an RTD now. It's a, a pre-mixed drink. Um, we had to pay uh, RTD tax. It's a very separate and different thing. If you add more than 1% alcohol from um, either, even, even if it's your beer distilled or extraneous sources, it's no longer beer. I feel like some other uh, breweries could have extracted more than 1% from a few different... I feel like we've had this exact same conversation on microphone. Really? Uh, or about getting more than they thought out of new old barrels. Definitely, yeah. But um, I don't think that was reclassified though. I won't no. go into the specifics of how that happens, but there's often quite a bit of whiskey in the bottom, which is not, not, not a problem for them because they're refilling it so they don't lose it. But when a brewery puts beer in it and then drains it completely, they uh, goes out of their system. But we, we try and make sure we give them enough value back in... Other ways to yeah, <laughs> but to that's a dan- that's a danger drink though because that doesn't drink at that level I don't think. So went into barrels with a mixed culture, our our house mixed culture. Uh, it got really ropey. Um, for those that know, don't know ropiness, it's a product of Pediococcus predominantly um, bacteria that produces oligopolysaccharides like a gummy material. Um, if you ever get a beer that pours out like shampoo, that's ropey. Or if uh, you see a what looks like the Loch Ness monster inside the bottle. It's probably ropey. It's a really good sign of healthy bacterial activity. Um, can sometimes take a few months to, to, to pass or longer. Um, Belgians allow, you know, six to 18 months for sickness and ropiness to pass. Um, it really relies on um, complex and, and rigorous Brettanomyces activity to break down those products. Um, ours actually cleared up after about 45 days. I was kind of blown away at how quickly it happened. It got super ropey and viscous and jelly-like and then cleared up real quick <clears throat> um, so it allowed us to, to get the beer out much sooner than I an, an, anticipated the flavour development was there um, so we then infused it with um, the zest of uh, a box of organic uh, lemons organic not because I'm pretentious but because they come unwaxed so you can take the wax off without adding oil to your to your beer uh, hand zested really finely steeped in um, neutral spirit did you do the hand zesting? Um, I did a little bit. Our, our, one of our, um, our, our casual staff, Charlie, uh, Chip, he did uh, most of the zesting gloved up with um, a lot of stainless in our lab. Yeah. Um, it was good fun. Good work, Charlie. There's a picture yeah. on our uh, Instagram Charlie. feed, I think. But it really um, complements it. Like, it really adds to the aroma of it, though. Yeah. You're talking into your beer, not the microphone, Dave. <laughs> They're all in the same area, yeah. I think that, I mean, the, the point I was getting to was that that, that pediococcus ropiness and the, the product of it still being there so it's the reason lambic beers aren't thin. Um, they're very dry, but they've still got some body thanks to partly the protein from unmalted wheat, but also the product of that ropiness. Um, and I think the same thing's happened here. So it's almost, I was curious as to how I was going to get like a body and the texture of a whiskey sour into a beer. Um, but it just ended up happening as a, as a result of the, the mixed uh, fermentation. Um, so it's still got that hint of body and creaminess, which you'd expect in a, in a whiskey sour or a fizz or something like that. Um, which is yeah, it's worked out really well. We're um, we're still waiting on labels; they've been finalised and coming from the US uh, this time around. With this this series, we do a different uh, label um, process, like a trading card process, a finishing technique. Um, this time, we're going full on garbage pal kids peel off stickers. Oh, really? So kiss cut, peel here, 
um, so that people can slap uh, Lemmy up on their bike or their Fun. BMX or at the bar they pour the beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Possibly. So it's, it's been really hard to find a label printer that that can do the kiss cut, um, can do hole punching, and that can actually print on the back of the, the label, um, the back of the sticker. But yeah, we're we're getting there. They're um, still a while away from arriving, but the label has a gay kiss. That's probably the first beer label I've seen with a gay kiss on it. That's a bit of a landmark. Uh, Lemmy, who's he kissing? Uh, it's Lemmy kissing Lemmy. So, oh, it's Lemmy. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, uh, There's all it, kinds of meta. Things yeah. yeah. The, the yeah. evolution of the brand, like it was, we didn't have a name for it. We knew it was a whiskey sour. That was its code name. And then I was writing, writing things up on the board of what was in what tank and what was in what vessel. And I wrote, just wrote up Lemon Party because everything's a party around here. So I wrote up Lemon Party and just snickered to myself and um, started talking to the illustrator about ideas and he had a few, oh, see, you know, right. we were talking about the Earl of Lemon Grab and um, Johnny Johnny Tight Lips, um, Suck a Lemon, you know, um, and a few other a few other fun references. And then he said, what about Lemmy, you know? Um, oh, Lemon Party was one of the potential Gee, concepts. Johnny Tight Lips would have been a cracking reference though. <laughs> I love that one, yeah. <laughs> I ain't saying nothing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him to suck a lemon. Um but yeah, he, he said, how about Lemmy, you know, it'll fit with the pop culture references and the, the history of the series so far. And I said, what about Lemmy Party? And he said, no, I'm going to go to Metal Hell. Like, that's, you know, that's too far. Lemmy's a legend. We can't, you know, it's like, well, we're not, you know, we're celebrating him. It's not, it's an homage. It's not deprecating. Um, it's also a funny reference to internet humor. And um, it's all meant in really jest and in light humor. Yeah, it's had mixed mixed reactions, I think, so far. Um, oh, so there's been negative reactions? Some, I think, but I don't think they're steeped in uh, reality. I think it's mostly homophobic people or conservative people that are that have a, have an issue with it. Um, we're by no means um, degrading or being derogatory or trying to poke fun at um, homosexuality. I think for us it was just um, a fun joke and, and funny to see three lemmies getting it on. There's um, three of them there. There was. Oh, okay. I see, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Um, because I guess uh, on that, the, the Coopers thing recently, I saw you, Three Ravens come up as being um, featuring the occult frequently on your labels as, you know, leveled at. You know, Coopers featuring Christianity and Three Ravens are doing occult things. I think, yeah, that one that was, that was just part of Ben's culture I think and the Three Omens name and the Dark Mood there was always um, yeah like a bleak grim outlook uh, I think Adrian helped channel that like it was it had always been there in the name and the branding and the style and the mood of Three Omens and our branding so we've tried to maintain that Adrian did a really good job of channeling that into to, to black metal and death metal and so Adrian satanic um, references has come up a lot so far we haven't actually said who he is so he was used to be head brewer now he's head yeah. brewer at Moondog oh, he he he'd, he'd been around quite a bit in Melbourne Grand Ridge and Jamison and maybe a few other places and came on here as a, an assistant brewer to Dave Bruff yeah. um, and Dave moved on and Adrian took over in, uh, in both roles brewer and assistant brewer and really just ran the ship for, for a long time um, loved doing small batch seasonal things and um, loved uh, kind of channeling the, the spirit of Three Ravens and his love of metal into to beer brands and beer styles. Well, that will probably uh, translate uh, at Moondog coming up because I think he's moved into more of a creative role there. Yeah, if I'm mistaken. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I think with their focus on production and the the core range, they kind of have a lost their way a little bit in in how they started and what their original concept and appeal was of being a out there experimental 
weird, wacky brewery. But they've 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 been missing that personally, so they're they're really excited to bring. Stay it back. tuned. Show incoming. Are we? Yeah. When are we recording with them? Next week. So no okay. more then. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah, it's an exciting it's a good time teaser. for Adrian. Yeah, 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 definitely. He's a great dude. Um, yeah, he's a with him. very good I dude. I wish he had more time to come and hang out and drink beer with me and come to my homebrew club meetings and just love spending time with his wife and dogs for some reason. I don't know. What an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I reckon that's probably a good place to wrap it up with a bit of a teaser for next next episode. If it is, but yep. Okay. we got two next week. If you oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Forget, yeah. Lots of content coming up. Yep. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Look out for um, all our fun stuff. Like the Juicy IPA should be around town by the time you hear this. Absolutely um, delicious. Also, out of uh, the aforementioned uh, many whiskey sour beers that have come up in the last year, this is my favorite one that mm. I've had out of it. So look out for it and get it because it's uh, pretty damn good. It's not going to be cheap because it's an RTD, but it will be awesome. Yep, be delicious. It's the first RTD we've had on, tasted on the show, I think. Have I told you of my love of RTDs? No. Oh, you know, I time. think you might have on. Maybe it was, no, it was off Coca-Cola. Mic. Bring along. No, no, I think I'll it bring was along related. some of my favourites next time around. Purple Goanna. Was that a thing here in Australia? I'm I don't actually. Know what you're talking I about, but I like wait. your vibe. I can't yeah. wait for that RTD <laughs> show. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this up, and we'll go. I'm going to go on. Where can we find uh, you and all things Three Ravens online? Three Ravens Brewery on uh, Facebook at Three Ravens uh, Brewery. Number or letters. Instagram, uh, number three, uh, words, <laughs> Ravens Brewery. Raven emoji, yeah. Uh, on Twitter, we're here at Three Ravens. Um, personally, I'm at Crobes, C-R-O-W-B-Z on Instagram and Twitter. Please engage with me. I've been uh, pretty lax on, on Twitter lately, but if you CC me, I'll, it'll drag me back in. Fantastic. Luke? Uh, at Isle of a Time everywhere. And also check us out on Hypothetical Institute for more demonic and occult-like discussion. Anything coming up? I heard you were on the uh, whatever iteration of the uh, Good Beer Hunting oh, podcast. Oh, yeah, we talked about Good Beer Hunting earlier. I just uh, had to listen to that. Yeah. It's good. Really good, actually. Yeah. They do a collective podcast where so they chats to people, other writers that write for him. Um, so I was first up. Luckily, uh, on a panel of three, Luke was the first listen. So you can listen to the first yeah, 15 minutes and then forget drop it. Drop out. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly what I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's like, it's incredible. It's played it from the start again. Sorry? It just played you again from the start. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually did listen to the whole episode and they're, they're three very good insights. So uh, look, give it a the listen. People that write for, for Good Beer Hunting or, or involved in it are so talented and, and, you know, every time I'm kind of involved in that kind of discussion where I'm, I'm on the level of those people, it's just... Also, uh, if you read the Good Beer Hunting posts but don't enjoy the podcasts, mm-hmm. I would listen to those shows because yeah. I think you get more out of the posts if you hear the stories behind yeah, it, some yeah. of the uh, motivating factors, that's that kind of thing. So um, very good. Well done to you as well. Thank you. Dave, where can we find you? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, at Melbourne Dave. Hit, send me an email, anything to do with the show. If you have news outside of Victoria that we don't know about, Dave at Ale of a Time, hit up Luke at Ale of a Time. We need something. Someone send me one email so I can check that inbox. Oh, sorry, Dave. Hey, just <laughs> one. That's all. I'll yeah. send you an email, mate. Yeah, thanks. Thank you to Tohida. Always. Music. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Give us some love. What a tune. Definitely. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Let's wrap it up. 